Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the series of informational interviews. Today, I have the great pleasure to interview Mr. Victor Carter Bay. Mr. Carter Bay is the Chief Executive Officer at the Casualty Actuary Society. He graduated from John Hopkins University with a BA in Political Science, received an MBA from NYU, and achieved his doctorate through the University of Maryland Global Campus. Victor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matthew. It's great to be here with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. We're very happy to have you on today and taking the time out to share your insights with us. Well, thank you for having me. Fantastic. Well, without further ado, I guess we'll dive right into the questions. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your professional story? Yeah, sure, Matthew. Well, I, I grew up in Baltimore. That's where I live now and been here for many years. Spent some time in Philadelphia and New York. I'm a dad because I live here in Baltimore. I'm right on the Chesapeake Bay. I enjoy boating. I'm a huge Baltimore Ravens fan. So there's a lot of really good things going on in that respect. And as I think about my, my world professionally, I've dabbled in a few areas over the years. I graduated undergrad from Johns Hopkins and worked in the, the law field for a year. I've always had a bit of an analytical mind thought I wanted to be in the legal space and quickly after a year learned that I uh, did not want to be in the, the legal world for, for a number of reasons, but really enjoyed the experience and really spent the better part, the more formative stage of my, my career, my development in the financial services field, worked in a number of different areas as an analyst, as a trader, as a high net worth, high net worth advisor. So there were a lot of different roles that I played in that space. But I always had this yearn and this desire to really balance my two loves, which are education and business, and really wanted to find an opportunity that would allow for that. So someone turned me on to an organization in Baltimore by the name of Prometric, which delivered computer-based testing exams to different organizations and their candidates around the world. And I gave that a try and ended up being there for almost six years and absolutely had a fantastic experience. Got to meet a lot of different people, got to know and understand the world of workforce development, workforce management, credentialing, training. And as a matter of fact, I was introduced to one of my future employers at that stage, who was a client of mine, the Project Management Institute, PMI, where I started there and spent another eight great years. And there really, was able to cut my teeth on the world of professional associations. What does it mean to think about members and member value, member engagement? Also combining that with a lot of focus on commercialization of certification programs and products. And then there was the, the opportunity with the uh, CAS, Casualty Actuarial Society, one of the uh, best decisions I've ever made. And, and here I am today. Fantastic. Well, that's incredibly insightful to hear, you know, your professional story. And um, along with Prometric, I know a lot of the preliminary exams, um, such as exam one, two, and exam three F are through Prometric, which is super cool. So you, I guess you maybe had a little exposure to that, which is pretty cool um, in, in that first <laughs> regard. Um, but that's awesome. Um, and you said that one of your uh, favorite things uh, was to stumble upon this, this role that you are currently in. Um, so what interested, what interested you in taking the role of a CEO of an actuarial organization? Yeah, and you know, when I, when I think about the role and I think about the process that I went through, there was certainly a very measured process. A lot of rigor went into it, both on the side of CAS and determining and evaluating who would be the, the best fit for the, the CEO role. 
and on my part to determine as far as my next career step what would be the the best opportunity for me in terms of my own career trajectory but more importantly the place where i'd be able to help drive an agenda drive value but also was very clear that i wanted to work within the professional association realm the not-for-profit professional association realm and that's where cas presented itself and I've always been really, I've highly respected the, the actuarial space and actuarial sciences and really the mental power and the, the muscle that's necessary to work in a world like property and casualty and to bring the necessary skill sets quantitatively as you think about risk, et cetera, into that world. But more importantly, I yearned to really work in and lead an organization that was advocating for a dynamic profession which I certainly believe the actuarial profession to be, and dynamic in the form that it's evolving, that it has a trajectory, that it's moving along, that it has these really amazing inflection points where there are opportunities for the people who work in the profession, as well as the organizations that hire the actuaries, that they're moving along that trajectory in tandem with the actuaries themselves. So the transition to the actuarial world was really, it was exciting, but it was also really interesting that the parallels between the world that I had come from working with project managers, again, were very measured in terms of their approach, thinking about risk, thinking about the quantitative analysis of looking at projects, the return on investment of those projects. So a lot of those parallels definitely made their way and aligned with the actuarial world. So when you see organizations like the Casualty Actuarial Society that are a key inflection point, they're really moving along that trajectory of innovation, which is one of our core values, that was really looking to push the needle, if you will, as far as where it wants to go and where it wants to go for its members. You can't help but get excited about that. You can't help but gravitate to an organization that, that has that sort of DNA. And then you think about the, the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of professionals around the world who are part of that, that equation having the opportunity, whether they're volunteers, whether they are members, et cetera, having the opportunity to work with them and to think about what drives their development, what sort of solutions can we offer to help them in terms of their own career trajectories. That to me is the most exciting part. So the dynamic nature of the organization, plus I would say combined with the, the amazing relevancy of the, the actuary professional was really incredibly intriguing and something that I, I truly gravitated to. Uh, yeah, that's awesome that, you know, kind of highlighted one of the main things that I always like to kind of um, talk about with actuarial sciences. One of the big things people always think is that our field is not dynamic, whether it's in the SOA, or the CAS, insurance in general, people don't think, oh, that's dynamic. It's insurance. It's been around forever. It's going to be around forever. They don't change anything. But that's yeah. not true at all, um, as you highlighted. So. It's yeah, you know, when, when you think about it, when you think about it, Matthew, the, the relevancy of this profession, of this field, is, is nothing short of incredible. You think about the world that we live in with you know, big data. We live in a world where there's unfortunately tragedy with, with fires and, and storms and all sorts of catastrophes. And having people who are at the intersection of those events and the businesses that need to understand and model and understand those risks and then really add value to how do we understand and manage those risks going forward. 
I mean, that is, again, something that you don't find every day. So for me, the relevancy equation, which I talk to about with my staff all the time, this idea of being relevant, staying relevant, that's very much in the cards with the actuaries that we work with, that whole idea of relevancy. So it's another attractive element that I thought about as well when I made the decision to join the, the Casualty Actuarial Society. Yeah, no, very true. It's, it's, it's incredible, you know, that we are able to drive value and provide value in, in literally anything that we do, uh, which is awesome. So thank you for the insights on that. Um, could you describe for us your typical day as the CEO of the Casualty Actuary Society? Lots of meetings, Matthew, lots of meetings. So it's, it's really not unlike any other organization where there there's meetings or collaboration a lot of folks who want to run ideas by you, you want to run ideas by them. So definitely a lot of collaboration, but also I find myself being the consumer of a ton of information, whether it's, be, whether it's through readings that I do, whether it's through the conversations that I have, but then also the direct engagement with people, particularly the, the staff. We have an amazing staff at the Casualty Actuarial Society that I love working with, who bring a lot of different skills and talents to the table. And that's also the case with our board of directors and our volunteers at the, at the executive level who also are very passionate in what they do. And because we're so mired in this, this understanding of where it is we want to go and where we see the future of this organization going, there's a lot of conversation that's taking place all up and down the chain, if you will, from, hey, what do we need to do the next day in terms of our meetings to what do we want to do five to 10 years from now? So it really runs the gamut between the the short term and the long term and moving around in those different spaces and switching gears and pivoting to the, the short term, more explicit conversations to the longer term, sometimes more abstract conversations. I find a lot of joy in that. And it really is back to that, what I mentioned before, the dynamic nature of what we do. We definitely see that playing out in the organization as well. So every day is exciting. It's fun. And having the opportunity to interface with our board and our volunteers and staff is really a, a, a dream come true on a number of fronts. That's fantastic. And uh, alongside with that dyna dy you know, dynamic nature you mentioned, um, like, like you said, everything we do is dynamic. And what, you, what your typical day consists of is no you know, short of that. It's, it's dynamic. Um, like you said, I mean, you could look at one day, I'm sure, what, you know, what's our plan for tomorrow, like you said. and then you know, the other day you're looking for, you know, five, 10, maybe 20 years down the line. What is the plan for our, our organization? Um, and what do we want to do to drive a uh, change for our members or, um, you know, help develop our members in the future? So I'm sure it's, it's, it's gotta be like, you know, very, uh, awesome, like, you know, just awesome just to be able to deal with like everyone and gather everyone's insights and kind of, you know, run ideas by these incredibly intelligent people who are, the leaders within their field and driving change within their field. Yeah, I mean, you listen, you, you nailed it. It's like you, you know you're part of these conversations as well because that's exactly what's happening. We're having these incredibly important conversations, but at the same time, Matthew, we're we're having a good time. We're having fun. We're trying to bring that element into the work that we do, where we think about the the future, we think about the the current state, but we also want to make sure that for the the level of rigor that we typically apply to the different things that we do, that let's take those moments to step back and appreciate the fact that we have an amazing team, we have an amazing volunteers that we work with, and we can truly appreciate 
all the great things and all the great contributions that are taking place. So this whole idea of collaboration and really bringing the teams together, I, I highly value that. It's something that's really important to me in terms of the types of organizations that I want to be part of and the types of organizations that I desire to lead. So we, we really see that all throughout the organization. And it's really that, that communication and the collaboration that plays out on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's, to use your word, it is awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. So like just overall, just a great community to be a part of. Like there's a very good sense of community within the Casualty Actuary Society, which is like, like I keep, keeps popping up, awesome. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. We're going we're gonna to lean on that word today. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> there we go. I love it. All right. So we kind of touched upon about um, what your typical day looks like as a CEO of the CAS. Um, and you kind of did lead into a little bit of the question um, of how you're always forward looking, whether it be the short term or the long term. Um, so what are some goals or areas of focus for the Casualty Actuary Society for the year 2020? It's a great question, Matthew, and, and one that perhaps obviously we, we think a lot about when you are not only thinking about the, the business in terms of what we do, but as a member association, we're constantly thinking about what's best for, for our members. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it in a few different ways. So at some level, there are specific goals, but I'm going to try to paint a picture more categorically of some of the areas that I've been having many conversations with staff as well as the board in terms of where we need to anchor and center our attention as we, as we try to execute the plans for this year. So it comes down to four specific things that are important to, to our, on our to-do list. Uh, one is innovation. The second is growth. Third being differentiation. And finally, member centricity. And let me start with member centricity because that really is the underpinning of everything that we do and every factor of what we do. And I mentioned a moment ago that, that it really is the front piece of every conversation, every thought. We're always thinking about what's best for our members. And I remember one of the things that on day one that I pledged to the, the staff is that with every decision that we make at the CAS, that the first question that we'll ask and that we'll put on the table will always be, how does this benefit our members? And how does it drive value for our members? Not how does it drive value for the CAS, but how does it drive value for our members? Which to me is a really important distinction because many organizations could sit back and the question may become, well, how do we get this and how do we drive this for us? And sure, there's a component of that that is certainly very important, but the question, the lead question will always be what's best for, for our members. So I call it member centricity, which I won't pretend to own that phrase. I think I've seen it used in a few different associations, but member centricity is really important. This whole idea of understanding our members and engaging our members in creative ways and dynamic ways, that truly is going to be part and is part of our DNA. So much so that we recently created a new role of member engagement, and we're thinking about as our members go along their career trajectory from students all the way to retirees, how can the CES be with them there side by side to make certain that they're getting the value that they need in terms of products and solutions, education, training, so on and so forth. So member centricity will always be part of the, the conversation that will be on the goals for every year 
that I'm here. And even beyond those years, we're constantly thinking about what's best for our members. Now, let me talk for a moment about innovation, because that's one of these words that we see in a lot of different circles, and it can mean a lot of different things to people. And Matthew, I don't think about innovation as coming up with an idea or, or thinking of a, of a new solution. To me, that's the, the easy part. You know, anyone, frankly, can come up with an idea, but how do you create value in terms of that, of that idea? And how does that value manifest into the members of our society having different products and solutions that are gonna help them as they move along their career? So to me, it's all about not only creating those ideas, but creating the value add solutions that are gonna help our members going forward. So we need to make certain that as we are also commercializing a lot of these products that we're then taking the, the return on those investments and we're pouring it back into the organization so that we can go on to create additional value for our members. And as a matter of fact, in the spirit of innovation, something that comes to mind, we recently announced that we're moving towards computer-based testing with Pearson View as our partner. And that's incredibly exciting for, for so many different reasons. But in the spirit of innovation as a specific goal, this is something that is really going to drive a new sort of engagement, a new relationship with our, our members and our candidates. So we're really excited about that. So we're going to launch that in the fall, and we're going to have our MAS 1 and 2 exams be the first to go through that process and that system. So innovation, again, will always be part of the, of the equation. The, the third component I'd like to talk about is growth. And really make no mistake about it, we, we want to grow. We want more members. We want to grow in terms of who we are, our size and our capabilities. But let me focus on that for a moment because that growth is really a measure of how are we even growing our own resources internally in terms of the capabilities of staff, the different ways that we go about growing and evolving our business. So that again can turn and transform into value-added products and solutions that we're adding for and adding to for our members. So growth is a really critical component of the equation as well. And again, like I said before, make no mistake about it, we definitely have ambition to grow, to stay relevant, to be relevant, and I'm excited about the, the prospects there. And then finally, I, I lean on this word a lot in a lot of my conversations, whether it's with staff or as I go on the road and I speak with people about what we're doing at the CAS. And it's this concept of differentiation. And I think back to my, my time at business school, you mentioned that I went to uh, NYU, had a lot of great years there. But one of the first courses that I set for on, on organizational strategy talked about this concept of organizations can be one of two things. They can be either a low cost provider of products and services, or they're gonna be a differentiator in terms of really distinguishing themselves from other competitors and identifying what's the unique level of value that they can provide to their customers, or in our case, our members, that really distinguishes who they are and what they do. So when I thought more about that, I really was, I, I, was gravi I gravitated to it because I don't wanna be like the next guy personally. I don't want our organization to be like the next association or other organization, I truly want us to have a compelling, differentiating value proposition that really excites our members, that keeps them with us, and really allows us to establish that partnership that I keep referring to 
as we move along their, their career journey. So, so that really is a, is a high level. And certainly with each of those aspects, there are some more explicit goals that we're focusing on for the year. But I thought I'd at least try to respond in that sense as far as categorically these four areas of member centricity, growth, innovation, and then also differentiation as key themes for, for the year. That's, yeah, that's incredibly insightful. So kind of just to repeat those, uh, member centricity, innovation, growth, differentiation, all those are just, you know, really kind of tie back to, I, I kind of what I was thinking whenever you were giving the response, like, was member centricity. Um, you want to innovate so you can keep your members still learning and, and educated and just, you know, just ever learning. Because, like, one of the big things with actuaries in general is, we love to learn. We don't love to just sit there and, you know, stay uh, complacent with what we have. Um, we are always looking to learn and grow as individuals, um, whether it be professionally or personally. And um, innovation is a huge part of that. And I mean, growth is literally the definition of that, which is, mm -hmm. you know, incredibly, um, you know, insightful that, you know, you're able to do that through kind of everything. So kind of like, it's awesome to see uh, going back to that word awesome, right? It's, it's awesome to see that, you know, all of them kind of tie into the whole idea of member centricity. Um, you're innovating to really educate your members and you're looking to grow your members, grow all of their, you know, well-being and um, their education and also differentiation. Um, like, like you said, with that first class you took, you're, you know, what really drives a business? You're either going to be that low-cost provider or, you know, you're going to be a differentiator. Um, what are you going to do to differentiate yourself like you said, from the other organizations. And that, again, all ties back to the member. So fantastic response, yeah. Well, well thank you. And, and again, I can't say enough how, how exciting that is to, to be in that position where we have the support from our board of directors and volunteers and other resources to, to not only think about these things, but to take the appropriate actions. I even think about sort of differentiation and innovation at, at another level as well. When we think about our university engagement programs, just had some conversations here this week about ways that we can perhaps even play a role with internships this year. I mean, you and I know that in a lot of cases, internships are being either removed or they're being pushed out just with everything that's going on. Well, what's the, the role and the opportunity for CES to perhaps fill that gap and to play a role in creating some of those connections and some of those opportunities for our college and university students? So there are really so many different avenues that we can pursue. And all of these come back to those four areas that I'm talking about. And that's really gonna be sort of our guiding principles as we carry forward. And then all the different ways that we execute on those strategies and we think about different products and services, all of that will get weaved in, but we certainly need to have a guiding light, if you wanna call that, as far as what we will always lean on in terms of the things that are important and the things that will drive a lot of the conversation that are conversations that are had and also the decisions that are made with our, our board. Very true, very true. Um, so like, I wanna tie back um, to one of the responses you gave before to the previous question. You said that the Casualty Actuary Society is moving all of their um, exams to online. So that kind of tied into a little bit to my next question. Um, so obviously the, the Casualty Actuary Society announced this pretty recently. Um, so what motivated this change and how might it really impact actuarial students? 
Yeah, definitely one of the more exciting things that, that's going on. And we were working this behind the scenes for some time now. We were chomping at the bit to start talking about it and introducing some of the ideas. But as you can imagine, a lot of discussion and coordination on the logistics and how this would work. And then certainly in light of the, the current environment, environment with COVID, some things needed to be thought about differently. So it's again, coming back to the word dynamic, a lot of dynamic pieces and moving parts of that, of that puzzle. But nonetheless, when we thought about the decision to move towards computer-based testing, it really can be summed up in a very frank and explicit kind of way that it was time. It was time to move in that direction. Um, some might even argue it was uh, beyond time, but nonetheless, we're gonna focus on the fact that it was time and explicitly, Matthew, when you think about our members, our members are getting younger. Our members are really focused on the use of technology to perform their jobs. Uh, they look at the different ways that they interface and interact with their, their businesses. They're using technology, they're using spreadsheets, they're using R, they're using all these sophisticated tools in order to perform their jobs. So when we thought about the opportunity to move our assessment vehicles, our certification exams, towards a path that will allow some of those elements to be weaved in to replicate the experience of what it is like on a job, that was very compelling. It was something that made a lot of sense to us. And even in terms of our conversations with candidates and volunteers, it made a ton of sense to them as well. So again, the ability and the opportunity to replicate that environment is also gonna allow us to ask more practical questions of how do people perform in these roles, particularly in the, the property and casualty actuarial space. And in a lot of cases, what we strive to do is to create better balance between understanding the, the knowledge that these professionals bring to the table, but then also really that practical element how do you take that knowledge and apply it to what you do? How do you apply it to a real-time situation or scenario? We need to have the tools in place to be able to do that. Now, fortunately, paper-based testing has been very successful for us. We continue to be successful in that regard. We certainly understand that, like anything, it has its limitations. So having the opportunity to transition to a world, and again this fall by releasing our MAS-1, and MAS2 exams into that environment. We're gonna do it, we're gonna be excited about it, we're gonna see that it goes well. And then once we have that opportunity, we'll start a more full transition, if you will, beginning in 2021. So I couldn't be more excited about it. Having come from that world and having worked at one of the leading organizations for computer-based testing at Prometric, I know very explicitly what goes into these types of transitions and it's not to be taken lightly, and neither are we taking it lightly. The team is working incredibly hard around the clock to make sure that we're checking every box, we're thinking of every possible scenario, because ultimately success is the, the goal here, and we wanna make sure that from a value add perspective, we're not just moving the computer-based testing just to move in that direction. There needs to be inherent value in making that move and in making that investment, so we're going through all the appropriate steps to ensure that our candidates have as incredible an experience as they can when we do move to computer-based testing. Right, uh, that's, you know, kind of like, this kind of ties back a lot to the values you kind of highlighted in the previous question. This is one of the big key things to differentiate yourself as an organization by pushing those exams to online and allowing more access to uh, students to have access to the exams and access to quicker results of, 
okay, now I can maybe start studying for the next one instead of maybe, oh, you know, having that doubt of maybe I didn't do as well as I thought. <laughs> maybe I should still study the material and, you know, still sit for the next one. Um, so it allows you to really, like you said, it ties back to the values um, of innovation. It allows your members to grow a lot more and it allows you to differentiate yourself uh, between or organizations that are providing credentials. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad that you mentioned that in terms of that experience post-exam because, you know, there's a lot of anxiety. You mentioned at the outset or before we got on that you just finished up your finals and there's always that anxiety of how did I do? How did I perform? And we know that that, that exists with our candidates. And by moving to computer-based testing, it will eventually allow us to even have more control of the, the scoring and the grading. And a lot of programs today, you have real-time scoring. So you sit there, you finish your exam, and you get a result there. So those are the goals that we have. We want to get to those points very quickly, but the, the power and the capacity of the technologies that are involved really do allow for a completely different experience than that which you'll have on paper. So we're excited about that. We really are. Yeah, no, it definitely is one of the biggest things. So that's very true. Um, so wait, um, I did have a question about this next one. This one I'm very interested to hear your insights on. Um, so what do you think are the greatest opportunities for evolution in the credentialing process down the line? And how might students and candidates benefit? That's an absolutely fantastic question. It really is. And with the increases to not only the, the capability and the, the, the power of a lot of the computing systems that are used in the computer-based testing world, we see many different ways of being able to assess competency, to understand knowledge, to ask questions in different ways, different sophisticated tools for, for measuring human cognition and adult learning. So there have been incredible advances over the last 20 plus years. We're really at an amazing intersection between the, the past, the present, and the future. So as I think about that question, the immediate thing comes to mind is that of artificial intelligence and virtual world capabilities and how they start to really become part of the everyday conversation of how do we assess competency, how do we assess capabilities, and how do we do that within the credentialing world. So I see a future where there will be very much a, a real world, real time assessments that we can do. And what I mean there is, as an example, let's say there's, you know, again, there's this unfortunate tragedy all around the world, but in the case of, let's say there's a, a hurricane, and certainly that brings a level of devastation, and there's a lot of data that gets created real time during the course of these events. Just think about a world where we can tap into those data and bring those into potential case studies and scenarios that can be presented to our candidates real time so that they can not only go through and provide their response and allow us to see their thinking, how they were able to work through that type of challenge and work through that type of problem, but you're working on a real life, real world example of something that's going on that can provide immediate sort of response to different solutions that may be in the process of being thought about or considered. So the long story short is that we want to be able to utilize real time data and real time activity and potentially I see a future where that can be incorporated into the credentialing world. So that, and again, this idea of virtual world and being able to truly immerse yourself into the experience, that to me is something that is really, really is the future. There's no doubt about it in my mind. 
So how do we really start to integrate that in a way that is meaningful and relevant to our candidates, but it also gives the confidence to the employers that, yes, I'm having the capabilities and the skills and the knowledge that I need assessed in a way that I know I can then have the confidence in hiring these individuals and promoting them into different roles. So making that experience as immersive as we can, we believe will definitely move us closer to a point where we have that confidence today from employers that, yes, these are amazing instruments that the CAS puts out in terms of, the, of its exams, but even building upon that to create a new medium where we not only have that confidence, but we know that people are now coming to the table having worked on problems and case studies that are real time and real world. That to me is, is really compelling on so many different fronts. Yeah, I mean, especially today with all the data we have present, and especially with not just how the data, how, how much we have present, how quickly it is readily available to for us to analyze. Like, I mean, it, the way you said it, um, how we're kind of like tied with the past, present, and future. Right now, you know, there's still some things we're doing, how, you know, how we did it in the past, the present, there's so much data, you know, available to us. But in the future, really, how, what are we going to do to analyze that? I guess, better um, and really, you know, provide value for our company and really um, as actuaries and as individuals um, with, as a, in a, within, a, you know, the Casualty Actuary Society. Um, there's just so much that could happen and so much good that can really come out of it. It's, it's incredible to really kind of like be, you know, in the field at this time because there's so much uh, promise, capability, and just anything that we can really kind of take at this point. Yes, so. you're exactly right. And you know, you and I see it every day, just the, the power of technology and the sophisticated solutions that organizations are able to put out. And these tools, these are things that we just need to be able to tap into. And as I mentioned before, when you think about the way that people work and the way that people and teams will work in the future, being able to replicate those experiences and almost think ahead along the curve of where is education going where is the actuarial field going? And this is where, again, the power of our volunteers and subject matter experts, that we can tap into those audiences to really start incorporating a lot of those tools and practices and methodologies. You take that and you integrate it with technology, and it really creates a powerful concoction of, of opportunity for doing a lot of things differently than we have in the past. For sure, for sure. And this kind of leads into my next question, because um, obviously we have so much data available to us right now. And the future for actuaries, it seems like it's unlimited and what we could really end up doing. Um, but what does the actuarial, prof why does the actuarial profession continue to be such an in-demand career? It's very simple in my mind. It's all about relevance. It's a very relevant profession. It's a very relevant profession now, and we see it being a very relevant profession in the future. So if you think about the, the actuary, in particular, the, the PNC actuary that we work with, they bring a unique set of skills to the table that are relevant in today's world. And again, what we believe will be relevant in the future world. I've mentioned a few times this concept of, of either wildfires or hurricanes, but you think about climate change, you think about big data, you think about AI, you think about predictive analytics and all the different ways that this is not only part of sort of the, the weekly conversation, this is now part of the daily conversation. And it's gonna be that way for the foreseeable future. 
So as I mentioned before, trying to think ahead in terms of where the profession is going and having the, the benefit and honestly the, the luxury of an amazing staff that we have at the, at the CAS, but then also amazing volunteers around the world who understand the profession, who have vision on where it's headed. All of this really points back to that fact that it's a very relevant profession. And so as long as we live in a world where we have risk, we have losses as a result of those risks, property and casualty, in particular professionals and actuaries, are always going to be in demand. So no one's better positioned, in my opinion, to have a seat at the business table than the, the actuary. And what really excites me is the fact that the profession will continue to grow, it will continue to evolve, and CES will be right there side by side with those professionals as they move along those trajectories. So that's really, as I think about the questions, a fantastic question when you think about the, the future and why are these actuaries in demand, it really comes back to the, the relevancy and it's our job to help them to stay and maintain their relevancy and even expand it in a lot of different ways. Exactly. Um, kind of tying back to the relevancy of like, you know, what we do as an individual on a day-to-day -day basis or, you know, as a, you know, on a weekly basis or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then one of the big things is, you know, like, like you said, oh man, I'm trying, I'm trying to think about it now. Ah, <laughs> and I'm thinking about it as well is, is it's just, it's our time. I mentioned before when you asked a question about why move to, to computer-based testing, well, it's time and it's really time for the profession to really continue to take charge because with all the things that are going on in our world and all the opportunities that exist and that are in front of us, I really do believe that actuaries are as equipped as any other profession or any other professionals to really drive a different conversation with organizations, with consumers, with regulators, all the different players and stakeholders that are part of that equation. It all centers around and anchors around the, the actuary who's right there in the middle and as that role, as that, as that becomes more prominent within organizations, I fully expect that you can continue to see that the actuary will continue to have a seat at that proverbial business table, if you will, of all the most senior level executives across the organization, because that's a skill set that's very translatable to all aspects of the business. You know, when you think about insurance, you think about you know, the data aspects, the predictive nature of where businesses are going, all of those skills, all of those characteristics are part and parcel of the equation. So that's why, again, us at the, at the Casualty Actuarial Society, we really yearn, we desire to be side by side with these actuaries as they move along and to really help them to think about how do I best position myself for the future? How do I make certain that when the opportunity comes for a promotion or the opportunity to take on a new job, that I have the skills necessary and that I can demonstrate those skills to make certain that I'm gonna be the one considered for those roles. And again, we wanna play an incredible part in that solution and do our best to help those actuaries move along. Exactly, exactly. And as you said before, I remember what I wanted to say, uh, risk is most likely never gonna go away. <laughs> so as long as there's risk present, there is something for us to do because we need to analyze exactly what we're dealing with and how to essentially approach that as a problem and then solve that problem. So as long as that's present and in all honesty, I don't see risk going away in any aspect. Um, so we will always kind of be responsible for taking care of that, you know, responsibility, I guess you could say. So very well put. Now, I didn't know you were a Baltimore Ravens fan. 
So I have to ask, <laughs> what is the re- what are the Baltimore Ravens going to do next year? What's the record going to be? They're going to win the Super Bowl. What's going to happen? You, you know, you're the head of the Casualty Actuary Society, <laughs> so we gotta we gotta have some sort of prediction here. Well, you know what? Don't want to beat or toot our own horn, but very clearly they're going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think there's any question. Uh, the 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 top competition I see in the AFC being the Kansas City Chiefs. We've they've had our number the last couple of years, and they've had their opportunity to shine, being the most recent Super Bowl winners. The time has come for that mantle to shift, for the pendulum to swing, however you want to characterize it, to the Baltimore Ravens, who uh, should have won it all last year, but fell apart in the playoffs. So, so I'm excited about this season coming up. I know there's there's a lot going on in our world right now, so to potentially think about having some of those niceties come back where we can kick back a little bit and, and enjoy a ball game. I'm certainly excited about those prospects and even more so about the, the Super Bowl that's clearly coming our way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I had to ask as soon as I found out you were a Baltimore Ravens fan. So, and I mean, rightfully so, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the big things that, you know, we're, we're looking forward to, like you said, is, you know, it would be really nice to have that come back and, you know, be able to relax and just have something, you know, there for us to take our minds off of everything all the uncertainty that is kind of worse around right. right now. Yeah, very, very well said. Very well said. Fantastic. Well, I'm out of questions now. Um, I wanted to sincerely thank you for taking the time out today because we know you are a very busy individual with everything that you're tasked with right now. So we are very grateful to have you on today um, and gather your insights on everything Casualty Actuary Society and the future and the exam process changed and everything. So thank you very much for doing that today. Well, I appreciate that and you're, you're welcome. And I also want to thank you. I know when the opportunity was presented to have some time with you, I was really excited about that. You, know, you and I have connected through, through LinkedIn and through some, some indirect conversations, if you will. So having the opportunity to chat with you directly and, and talk to you about a lot of the things that are going on was certainly very compelling for me. So I'm excited that we were able to not only have this conversation and meet one another, but also tee up some things that are, are mutually important to, to both of us. So, so thank you for the opportunity and thank your listeners as well. Mr. Kurt Bay, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much and thank you for the kind words. So without further ado, I guess we'll be signing off now. Everyone stay safe. <laughs>